to the name of Jesus on the day. Oh, that's what we came here to do, is it not? Amen. Praise the Lord. And as you, give, as you are being seated, let's give the Lord praise for the crew on today. Woo! That's right. When Bishop was talking about me growing up here, and me participating in the activities of the youth and of the children and the young people, I have distinct memories of singing in that very choir right there. They used to call it the youth choir way back in the day. Amen. But that was really one of the first places that I learned and that I started serving the church when I got out of my childhood. So let's praise the Lord again for the choir on today and giving honor to God. And let's praise the Lord for our pastor and our leader, Bishop Charles E. Blake, Sr. Amen. Come on now. We can do better than that for 51 years of dedicated service. And right along with him has been my mother, Lady May L. Blake. Let's praise the Lord for her on today. Amen. Amen. I want to praise the Lord for Dr. Oscar Owens for his excellent leading of the service on today. Amen. And I especially want to praise the Lord for Lady Deandra Blake. And as you heard, they had an absolutely fabulous time on Friday night with the ladies talking about perfect imperfection perfect imperfection. So I just have to let everybody know that I am just in awe of what God is doing in her life. Let's praise the Lord again for her. I was so blessed by the word that Bishop preached on last week regarding how to feel good that it stayed on my mind and it was kind of just in there bouncing around all week long. So if it's all right with you, I'd like to continue somewhat in the same vein. Amen. I love to be able to get up here and preach Bishop's sermons, but I have the feeling that he would throw something at me. Amen. <laughs> but I'm still going to preach his word. Amen. Praise the Lord. Every bit, every sermon, the word that I have heard, that the beginning of every word that I have heard even in my preaching, I have to realize that it came from him. He was preaching the first sermons that I ever heard. I didn't even know what a sermon was, but I was looking at daddy up there, give the word. So I believe that if I can be half of the man, half of the minister, half of the preacher that my father is, I think we might be okay. Amen. Amen. We praise the Lord again for my father. Well, beloved, let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 26. I'm going to be reading this particular version 
from the New International Version. It, it speaks to this kind of in the right way for me, although I love every version of the word of the Lord. Sometimes one version may speak to you a little bit differently, where it reads, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person that pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. I also want to read the first sentence of the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, which reads, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let's say our title for today, The Pursuit of Happiness. I believe that even in this time of worship and celebration of God's goodness over our lives today, that there is someone here that may be struggling with what it means to be happy. We look real good on the outside and our smile is just right, but on the inside, someone here may be struggling with what it means to be happy. The pursuit of happiness. Now, at first glance, there is nothing wrong with this thought. I mean, we all want and deserve and have a right to be happy. As a definition, happiness is a state that is characterized or indicative of pleasure contentment, or joy. It means to be delighted, pleased, or glad as over a particular thing. When most of us think of being happy or happiness, we think of a scenario from in which, for the most part, everything is as we would wish it to be. You remember that old song that says, Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a wonderful feeling. Everything's going my way. That's the concept we've had of happiness. Everything going our way. We'll say things like everything would be great and I'd be happy if only this would happen or if that would happen. Or I'll be happy if I could only get the right house or the right job or if I lived in the right neighborhood or I'd be happy if I could get my children to do what I tell them to do or if I could get them in the right schools or I'd only be happy if I could get the right spouse or if my spouse would act the right way or do the right thing or whatever that Maybe. So again, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men and women are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, 
and the pursuit of happiness. And again, there is nothing wrong with the pursuit of happiness if you know what true happiness is. Now, one of the more generally held assumptions that we have had in our cultural perspective or worldview, especially over here as Americans, is that happiness is synonymous with material provision and wealth. That if you want happiness, then you have to have wealth. And you have to buy stuff and own lots of stuff. And that is, is, if you have a lot of things, then you will be happy. Never before in the history of our world have we had more stuff. And you have to admit, we like our stuff. I mean, we have so much stuff that we rent apartments for our stuff. How many of you know what public storage is? How many of you have an account? Amen. Don't tell the truth. Amen. We got so much stuff, we have to rent rooms for it. But I was given a good metaphor on happiness by uh, a sociologist. I believe his name was Tom Hartman. And he said that this relationship with our stuff and with happiness is based both on the truth and it's also based on a lie at the same time. For example, if you're in the forest and it's cold and it's raining and you barely have any clothes and you're alone and you haven't eaten in a few days, you're close to starving, you can probably say that you're not happy. That's the truth of the matter. Now, say I see you out there in the forest and I say, hey there, my brother, hey there, my sister, what are you doing wandering around here cold? half naked in the rain, looking like you're starving all by yourself. Come on inside in my hut. Sit down by my fire. Put on this cloak because I can't have you naked all up in my spot. And sit down and have this big bowl of porridge that I just cooked. You look like you haven't eaten in about three days and talk to me. Before you were starving, cold, half naked, and alone. You now have food, you now have clothing, you now have companionship. Now you are happy. All it took was a little bit of stuff. Now that's the truth. We can all agree on that. That's easy to see. That's the truth. Now the lie comes in and that the lie that we have based this on says that if li this little bit of stuff can make me this happy, well, maybe two times as much of this stuff can make me twice as happy. And maybe three times as much of this stuff can make me three times as happy and five times as much of this kind of stuff can make me five times as happy and a thousand times as much of this stuff can make me a thousand times happy. And people who have millions and billions of dollars live in a state of eternal bliss because they are so happy because they can have so much stuff. And that, beloved, is a lie. I remember hearing about the great market crash of 1929 and hearing the urban legends of millionaires that jumped out of high-rise buildings on Wall Street when they lost their fortunes. 
Even nowadays, they don't even have to lose their fortunes. We've heard of people with millions of dollars in their bank accounts at the top of their field, world famous, having everything that we think one would need to be happy, and they are still taking their own lives, and we can't understand why it is tragic. The credit card company once told us to chase what matters, but we haven't learned that what really matters can't be bought with a credit card. Amen. They want you to buy that expensive watch, but they don't tell you that you can't buy time. They want you to buy that nine-bedroom house when all the money in the world will not buy you a home. A home full of love, a home full of life and laughter. Back in 1986, a very infamous stock trader declared on the campus of Berkeley University that greed is okay. Greed is healthy. And even though he might not have known what he was saying or meant that much harm at the time, that ideology that he spoke about has spread like wildfire throughout our culture. I once heard a slogan, and I heard a commercial that touted the slogan, too much more is never enough. We are being poked and prodded to buy and buy and accumulate, accumulate, accumulate without ever asking, will this make me happy? It is bred an epidemic of consumerism in our culture. Covetousness has now become a part of our culture and our national identity. If you don't believe me, just say how you'll know about the adage of how some of us will be in the habit of buying things with money that we cannot afford to impress people that we do not know and in many cases we do not even like. Or we've heard about what it means to be out there trying to keep up with the Joneses. One of the saddest statements and questions that I hear on the airways today is the question, how much is she or he worth? Or in the news story, you'll hear something about how this person was worth this amount of money. I mean, it's gotten to the point that we try to put a value on the life of an individual based on how much money they have in their bank account. Now, I'm still trying to find the source of this next quote, but it was once said that the unsatisfied customer is the bedrock of this economy. Some of us feel like we have to buy a new car every few years. That's why I love when Bishop Blake gets up and talks about how he drove the same car for 18 years. Amen. I was in junior high when he bought that car. I was about to be in graduate school when he got rid of it. So I don't care. I don't. I get mad at anybody who talks about how much Bishop Blake has and what Bishop, what God has blessed Bishop Blake with. I like to be like, you know, you need to have a big bowl of shut up right there because you need to take your mouth off of what God has done for that man. But I might be a little biased. But as it stands now, you have to get a new wardrobe every season. I had to put away all my baggy jeans because they're telling me that skinny jeans are in right now. 
Amen. And I don't know how good I look in skinny jeans, so we ain't going to never find out. How many of y'all used to still have your baggy jeans in your closet? Going, don't lie. Amen. Praise the Lord. But they keep telling me the skinny jeans are in now. It's that handbag or that clutch that they tell you that you just have to have by the right designer that costs you only $10,000 that will be out of style by next spring. Go on and worship the name of that designer to your neighbor. Y'all know what it is. <laughs> but we see or hear thousands of messages a day urging us to buy something. Every commercial, every ad online, every billboard that you pass by, every sign on every building is a message urging you to buy something. It's all around us. The commercials will show how unhappy someone is when they buy what the commercial is selling, and then they'll show how good the life of the person is after they've bought the product. You'll never see a person in a commercial wearing a frown while they're holding the product in question. There was a connection made in the commercial between the buying of a product with happiness or satisfaction. As if to say, if you buy this, then you'll have the same feelings as the person in the commercial. They said in the very subtle meshes that acquisition equals happiness or satisfaction. All you have to do is buy this coat. You were, you were making do just fine with what you had until you saw that commercial asking you, are you still driving that beat up old car? Are you still watching football on that old beat-up TV? I mean, I thought I was doing good when I finally bought a smartphone. I got at home and started figuring out how to work all the apps and work the thing, and all of a sudden, I look up at, a, at the TV and see a commercial for a newer version of the phone that I had just bought. I thought the one I had was just fine, and now they're telling me that I need to get the later version of the one that I just bought because the one I had was no longer compatible with the new software update. Then I learned later that there is a policy that corporations have of producing consumer goods that rapidly become obsolete and so require replacing, achieved by frequent changes in design, see if this sounds familiar, but achieved by frequent changes in design, termination of supply parts, and the use of non-durable materials. They are intentionally making a product that they know after a certain period of time will become obsolete, and you'll have to replace it. It's called planned obsolescence, if you want to look it up. But, beloved, they will very, very rarely will you see a commercial that tells you that you do not need to buy this year's model because last year's model was so good. You are made to feel inadequate and unattractive and incomplete unless you buy that particular product. They will even go as far as to say as choosy mothers choose. I didn't say nobody's name. Amen. Amen. But the unspoken message in that marketing campaign was the slogan of, you are not a good mother. You're not a good mother unless you buy this product. After the occurrence of 9-11, we were told to go shopping, keep buying stuff, 
as if more stuff was going to take the pain and the anger and the fear away that we felt at that time. The whole nation was involved to participate in something called retail therapy, which is the act of shopping with the primary purpose of improving your mood or disposition. It is an overt assault on your sense of happiness because you are being told that you need things to be happy or you need things to be of value. All of us in one way or another have had to deal with it. You either have all the stuff that they told you that you're supposed to have and it still doesn't fill that space in your life and make you happy or you don't have enough of what you think you need and you're stressed out about that. Stressed out about how you're going to pay the bills and pay the car note and the rent and the house note. Or, and I'm just not talking about stuff that you don't need or that you, know, you can't afford trying to impress people. I'm talking about simply making the ends meet. I'm talking about the financial stress being the number two reason for divorce in our nation. One way or another, all of us, whether you are a willing participant or not, have this to contend with. Now, the Bible at times seems to argue with itself over the subject of money, riches, and possessions. Your stuff. It does. In Psalm 144, 12 and 15, it reads that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace, that our garners or our accounts may be full, affording all manner of store, that our sheep or our investments may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets or our economy. That our oxen, or we could call them our business ventures, may be strong to labor, that there be no breaking in nor going out, that there be no complaining in our streets. Happy is that people. There goes our word we're looking for. Happy is that people that is in such a case, yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. There's no way around it. What the scripture says, this is about stuff. It's about garners and sheep and oxen. It's about tens of thousands in return or investment. There is no way around it. It says it right there at the end of the verse. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. And it's connected directly with stuff. You also have Psalm 1. Whoever meditates on the law of the Lord day and night and loves the teaching of God is like a tree planted by a stream of water. Everything he does will prosper. In other words, seeing this right here, godliness is in league with riches. You do what is right, you'll prosper. You do what is wrong, you will not prosper. But on the other hand, everybody say on the other hand, you have Psalm 73 that says, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, I was confused and envious because the prosperity of the wicked is not supposed to be 
happening here. You have Luke 1 and 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Mark 10, it says, sell all that you have and give to the poor. You have it's easier for a camel to enter into the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. You get, for the love of money is the root of all evil. You have the parable of the rich fool. Fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Something seems out of joint there. It's, it's not simple. It's a very complicated subject. It's a beautiful thing, but at the same time, it can be very ugly. One of the most beautiful things we do here in the house of the Lord involves money. We pray the blessing, and we praise God for the blessing of our first fruits. The deacons come in and receive the gifts, and we partner with Almighty God for the building of his kingdom and people we don't even know all around the world are blessed. And beloved, there is nothing more beautiful than that. Praise the Lord for what you've done through your generosity. Amen. Don't let the devil make you think that you're not doing anything to make the better place. Whenever you give, you are partnering with God for the building of his kingdom. Amen. And yet you also have, well, she married him for the money. You have Judas betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Oh, it was the money. Money talks. If it don't make dollars, then it don't make sense. It's a mix. The Bible seems to argue back and forth with itself about it. When I was back in college, back in the 80s, I heard a preacher say, the late 80s, excuse me, I heard a preacher say, show me a poor man and I'll show you a sinner. That's when prosperity gospel was really getting moving there. They said, show me a poor man and I will show you a sinner. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Money is a complex situation. It's a delicate balance. But beloved, let me be clear on something. Listen close. God wants you to be blessed. Just because you are rich and have lots of possessions does not mean that you are evil or are on your way to hell. This is not a disgruntled rant against rich people. If you've been blessed with prosperity, then hallelujah. Praise God. Glory to God in the highest. I praise God for you. Oh, I'm not going to hate. I'm going to congratulate. You can get a new Rolls Royce, you get a new Bentley. I'm like, swing down, sweet chariot, stop, and let me ride. Come pick me up, amen. <laughs> Let's do lunch at your favorite restaurant. <laughs> My birthday is coming up in a couple weeks, amen. Do not forget me in the name of the Lord. I am not mad at you. I praise God for your financial blessings. I praise God for what he's doing in your life. But you have been blessed for a purpose. God has blessed you so you can be a blessing. 
Oh, I heard a, an old preacher once say, God didn't bless you with material wealth so you could spend it all on you. God hasn't blessed some of you with material wealth because he knows that you're going to spend it all on you and that you're going to keep it all to yourself and what you thought you wanted to do with it. But 1 Timothy 1, 6 and 17 reads, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. There it is. Let's give the Lord praise. Amen. That's the way to happiness. Hear me again, Isaiah 58 and 10, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. If you use what God has blessed you with to bless others, then your soul will be satisfied. Your bones will be strengthened. You will be happy. Oh, let's give the Lord another praise. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I heard Bishop say not too long ago that if you have material wealth, you can still get into the kingdom. But if material wealth has you, you can't get into the kingdom. The world likes to say that he who dies with the most toys wins, but he who dies with the most toys still dies. I love when he talks about you. I ain't never seen a U-Haul trailer connected to a hearse yet. None of these toys are going to help you when it comes to eternity. None of these things are going to make you happy. I'll say it again. God wants to bless each and every one of us beyond what you can imagine. He came that we might have life and have life more abundantly. So how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we achieve the pursuit of happiness? How do we come to the realization of happiness? Now, notice I didn't say how do we find, get, or achieve happiness. Happiness is not something that you can find or achieve. It is not something that you can look up one day and, and say, okay, you know what? Now, I'm happy. Let me tell you, if you can't find a way to be happy, to be thankful and happy every day where you are today, then you will not be happy tomorrow or with who you got there with. You have to make a decision deep down in your spirit to be happy. I'll say it again, you have to make a decision deep down in your spirit to be happy. 
Another point is that happiness is a state of mind. It, it doesn't mean that you walk around all the time with this weird delusional smile on your face, acting like nothing can hurt you, and it, it doesn't mean that you never express pain or sadness. It doesn't mean that you never have to admit that you're having a bad day. It doesn't mean that you want to stay in your current circumstances, but it is found, happiness is found in right focus enjoying the day-to-day -day events of life. It means enjoying the experiences and blessings that God hides in each and every day, in each and every breath, even the ones that get on your last nerve. Deciding to be happy means that you at least, you never forget that this is a day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, let's give the Lord praise on today. You walk around with an attitude of gratitude, believing that all things work for the good of those that love the Lord and that are called according to his purpose. Oh, let's give the Lord another praise on there. You walk around singing, I've got a feeling that everything's going to be all right. There is a formula for happiness. I've decided to try to live it out. It's in Deuteronomy 28 and 1. It lays it out for us. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And the, all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. As that they will come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And here it comes. Blessed shall you be in the city. That's a prophecy. And blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies the Lord will cause your enemies to rise, who rise against you to be defeated before your face. That means you'll be able to see it. They will come against you in one way, and they will flee from you seven different ways. The Lord will command blessing. How many of you want him to command blessing? Hallelujah. The Lord will command blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. Uh, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord God is giving you. How many of you know, all of you know that the Lord has a territory that he wants you to take, that he has already given into your hand? He said every step, every land that your foot touches, has been given unto you. Mm. In other words, seek ye first 
the kingdom of the Lord and all his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Oh, somebody give the Lord praise on today. Hallelujah. Praise him if you want his commanded blessings in your life. Praise him if you want his blessings to overtake you on today. Glory, glory. We can go to Psalms 146. He says, my word says, happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help and whose hope is in the Lord God. Oh, somebody say hallelujah. Proverbs 3, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Hallelujah. We're talking about how to be happy here. You want to be happy? This is how you be happy. Proverbs 16, he who heeds the word wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Proverbs 14, he that despises his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Proverbs 28, happy is the man who is always reverent, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Hallelujah. There is, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, say it with me, happy is he. There it is right there, beloved. Oh, somebody get up and give the Lord praise right now. Hallelujah. Everybody's standing. Hallelujah. Oh, this is when we give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. This is how you can be happy. Glory, glory. Oh, I know life may try to throw everything at you, but if you follow his word, you will be happy. There it is. Rejoice in the Lord. Take joy in the God of our salvation. Oh, let's worship him on the day, beloved. Hallelujah. My soul says yes. Yes. Yes, my Lord. My soul says yes. 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 My soul says Yes, yes, my Lord, my soul says yes, yes, yes. Oh, I surrender Let's play softly. 
all heads bowed and eyes closed. This is just between you and God right now. There is someone here that thought that you could never truly have happiness in your life. I'd like to let you know that God wants you to be happy. For I know the thoughts that I have towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, thoughts of a future. He sent his only begotten son to die for our sins. You don't have to worry about the stuff. The word says, seek ye first the kingdom of the Lord and his righteousness and all of these things, the stuff will be added to you. As soon as you let go of your fervent desire for things and the stuff and start to seek the Lord, he will start giving it to you. But you have to be willing to let it go. Our Declaration of Independence talks about the pursuit of happiness, but what we should be more concerned with is the pursuit of meaning, the pursuit of purpose. He wants you to find your purpose. He wants you to find your reason for existing in him. And beloved, that is true happiness. If there is anyone here that wants to be happy, I mean truly happy, come on down to this altar. We're going to pray together. If there is someone here that wants God to touch your finances, come on down to this altar. We're going to pray together. It's all right. Amen. If there is someone here that wants to get connected with your purpose. Come on down to this altar. It's okay. Meet me down here. We're going to pray for you on today. There may be someone here that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. You're wondering if you're ever truly going to be happy. Happiness can be a reality. You can be happy. All you have to do is get in relationship with Almighty God. You don't have to listen to what the world and the commercials tell you about how to be happy. Happiness is already in the Word and it is in the right connection with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for these that have come before you so they can receive a special touch of your spirit. We thank you, Father God, that they want to get connected with their source and their creator because only your maker can tell you what you were truly made for. Only your creator can truly tell you what your purpose is. The, the world may have its idea of what you are or how high you can go, but you being our maker, well, you know the thoughts that you have towards us. And Lord God, we thank you for those who have come forward who want more of you, who want to know why you have made them, why we have been created, what is their purpose, and how we can all find meaning through you. 
Oh, it's such a cold world out there. Father God, we ask that you would touch their finances. We ask that you would give them peace. We ask that you would connect us with our purpose. That instead of wanting to be happy all the time, that you would want us to find our meaning. That you'd want us to find our purpose. That if we seek you and your righteousness, everything else is going to come simply as a result of us being close to you. So, Lord God, I ask that you would speak and work in each and every one of these situations. Touch that financial situation. Touch that emotional circumstance. Heal feelings of loneliness and alienation and isolation right now in the name of Jesus. Let people know that all they need to be happy is you and everything else will come. Lord God, we pray for those who do not know you now. For those who might not be saved, please repeat after me. Dear precious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for sending your son to die for my sins. Please forgive me for the wrong that I have been. Please forgive me for the wrong that I have done. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Son of God. I believe that he came down and died for my sins. I believe that he rose again on the third day. And I willingly and joyously give my life to him right now. And I thank him for his forgiveness. And I will live out the rest of my life for him. In his blessings and in his power. And in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Let's give the Lord another praise on today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And we praise God for each and every one of you here. Amen. You have taken.